Amen. Maybe see. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace, and we are delighted that you are here. It's a great day to be here with folks joining up. And as Burt Wallace, who always introduces himself as one of the elders, and that's what I am as well, one of the elders. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace, but Bert is also the chairman of our elders and has held that uh, position for a long time. He routinely points out that his one stated responsibility is to lead the annual church meeting. In case you haven't been here long, those words fit so beautifully together. Annual church meeting, you know, it's just really nice to have that every once in a while, but as Bert pointed out this morning, unity, we desire unity in our body. And we recognize the power of unity. And we also recognize that Satan doesn't want us to be unified because of all that is not accomplished when we are not unified. So be praying about that. It, it was great also to see the, the children up here this morning we're going to be introducing along the way in this series some, some new ministries that are designed not only to, to help our children and, and students, older students in uh, their walk with Christ, but also to bring them more into a sense of body life here at Grace Community Church. Uh, we believe in children, obviously, around here. And... Uh, <clears throat> I said we're almost Catholic the other day, and Jim McLaughlin said Mormon. I didn't realize we passed Catholic and gone to Mormon, you know, with the numbers of kids that we have here in the families. But at any rate, um, we have a lot of, a lot of kids, and, and oftentimes it may feel like you walk in the door, you know, and you kind of go this way. We, we, we recognize the fact that there's beautiful ministry happening back there, but we want our children to... to to understand at even a deeper level than they're already getting the message of the gospel and to be part of our united one body of Christ. So you, you'll be hearing about a lot of that stuff as we go. If I were to take a survey this morning, I'm going to imagine that most of you will have heard a powerful message on Romans 12, 1 and 2. And you decided when you heard that message that you were going to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And you were going to commit to the renewing of your mind through the reading, memorizing, and meditation of Scripture. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Spiritual, ESV, NIV, not the best translation. Talk about that in a minute. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As I've already stated, I, I'm going to guess that many of you have made a decision for Christ after hearing, or not necessarily to be saved, but to dedicate your life fully to the Lord after hearing Romans 12, 1 and 2 preached. And, and I'm going to say there's a good chance you responded at camp or at a conference or at a revival service in a church, whether it be your church or another church. And when you heard the text, it was as if God were speaking directly to you. And there's nobody else in the room but you and the Lord. 
It was an intensely personal decision that has positively impacted your life as a follower of Christ. Now you may be expecting me to say, that was all wrong. Absolutely not. That is most definitely what I am not going to say. What a beautiful time when you are confronted with the truth and the passion in these verses to give your life individually to Christ. And, and, and even though Paul is talking in the plural, he talks about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. You individually as well as you as a, a group. What I am going to say is that these verses were not originally written for individuals to make independent decisions to dedicate their lives to Christ, although it speaks boldly to us in this way. This text tells us to do that. But originally, this text was written in the context of the gospel and family life and spiritual gifts and service in the body of Christ or in the local church. Thus, the title of the message, Serving the Body Well Because You Believe the Gospel. Without giving a detailed explanation of how I arrived at what I'm about to share, there are a few things you ought to know about Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is not all that you need to know about Romans 12, 1 and 2, but it's what you need to know in the context of this message, in the context of the text, Romans 12, 1 through 8. These four points relate to our topic. First, Paul is basing his appeal on the gospel or everything that he said in Romans 1 through 11. And what Paul has said in Romans 1 through 11 is the most detailed, progressive um, flow of the gospel found anywhere in Scripture. A couple of weeks ago, and, and, and this kind of stuff is important just to help, help in, in, in interpreting Scripture. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how that Paul shared all of this wherever he went more than likely, he shared most of it in one way or another. But when he would write letters to the different churches, he would zero in or focus on the areas that needed special attention in those churches. And so he'd never been to Rome. And Rome was the center of everything, the empire. And he gives this incredibly detailed description of the gospel. From one thing to the next, we're all sinners. And, and without Something happening, we have no hope. But Jesus died as a propitiation for our sins. He absorbed the wrath of God. And if by faith we believe, then we are transferred from being in Adam to being in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we don't have to sin. But because Adam is in us, we will sin. But that's okay. The Spirit of God is is making us new and causing us to live according to God's plan. And then Romans 9, 10, and 11, has God abandoned his promises even though Israel no longer believes the way they did? Absolutely not. Gentiles have been grafted into the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus. And he just ends up, the, the richness of all of this is too much for me, those last few verses in, a, in chapter 11. And then he says, on the basis of all of this gospel, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Secondly, he's writing to y'all, family, not to you, the individual. Again, individuals 
take much application from this verse. Each one of us, as we sit down and read, we're not saying, oh, I would dedicate my life to the Lord if just the rest of the church would do it. It's not like that. But he was writing again to the entire group, saying, listen, all of you, body of Christ, sacrifice, be a living sacrifice. Third, the kind of sacrificial service to which Paul is challenging the Romans can only be accomplished as the gospel is believed. Renewing your mind essentially means to preach the gospel to yourself every day, doesn't it? I mean, if everything is, if he's saying, therefore, on the basis of God's mercies and all that I've written to this point, do this, we can only live as God calls us to if we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Timothy Keller has this to say about the importance of gospel mercies as motivation for sacrificial service. In short, the only sufficient motivation for the Christian life is gratitude for grace. If a Christian could lose salvation, then surely the overriding motivation for obedience would be fear. Non-Christians generally do not believe in God's wrath, and thus they do not find it very frightening. But we do know about it. So if a Christian believes it is possible to come back under the con that condemnation, the fear would be immense. Now let me just stop right here before we read that last sentence. Some of you have a miserable difficulty with assurance of salvation. Some of you worry, am I saved? Is it possible for me to be saved? Keller is addressing this in, in, in a little bit of a way. We're aware of the wrath of God. And what if, just what if, I'm not saved? Look, if you're aware of God's wrath at that level, most likely you're saved. I mean, there's a strong probability that you're a believer and that sometimes you're just overwhelmed with God's holiness and and you just wish you could be a little more certain just relax if if you understand that Jesus died for you relax believe that he died for you what else are you are, are you hoping to get you to heaven are you dependent on your good works your baptism your your church membership no you're, you're dependent on Jesus. So don't let fear be the motivation for your service. Fear-based obedience is more negative, afraid of punishment, than it is positive, grateful for grace. Amen. Last in this list, serving other members of the body is serving God. You could say this in reverse, of course. Serve, serving God is serving the body. You wouldn't get that directly from Romans 12, 1 and 2, but you would in context. These verses are setting up the rest of the book, much of which deals with the way we treat and serve one another. Here's something interesting about Romans you may not know, and, and I'll talk about this in more detail in a few weeks. You know, we talk about how Greek verbs have person tense mood, mood, some indicative mood, some imperative mood, interrogative mood. 
but indicative and imperative. Indicative, the verb is telling you something. It's giving you information. Imperative is a command. Do this, do that. Well, you know how many imperatives there are in the first 11 chapters of Romans? Two. All of it is information. Now, there is great application in Romans 8, 28, Romans 8, 26, 27, Romans 6, where the two imperatives are found. There's great application. But God must care a whole lot about what he wants us to know before he starts saying, now do this. Then, in Romans 12 to 16, it's like rapid fire imperatives, one after the other. On the basis of the gospel, live this way so Romans 12 1 and 2 is about to tell us that to serve God in this way is to serve the body to serve others in your local church so let's read our text before we run out of time so if you would please stand and we'll read Romans 12 1 through 8 I will be reading this text from the English Standard Version. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Greek word is logikon. It should, and in, in logical, we get the English word logical, which is your logical. It's logical to serve God on the basis of the gospel in this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, your word is alive, it's encouraging, it's challenging, it's life-changing. May we submit to your word and say yes, and change us through the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, be seated. It's this way every week, but when I get into the text, I, I just, there's so much there. I cannot tell you how excited I have been about preaching this text this week. 
I also cannot tell you how excited I am not about living this text, especially verse 3. Um, one of, the, one of the, the, the difficulties that comes along with the gift of teaching or preaching is that you get tested on what you're going to preach. Fortunately, it only happens 96, 98% of the time, but almost every week it's like, how can I preach this? You know, I have to apply it to myself, and the Lord graciously allows me to see my weaknesses and the, and the power that is in the Holy Spirit transforming me by the renewing of my mind. If Romans 12, 1 to 2 is the pivot upon which the entire book of Romans turns, then Romans 12, 3 may be the pivot upon which our text, Romans 12, 1 to 8, turns. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone of, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, look, you know, I'll go weeks with, months even, without talking about Greek this, Greek that. Greek is very important in this message today. The word measure is metron. The metron of faith, which means the measuring rod or the standard of faith. You know how English words take on different meanings. For instance, what do you think peruse means? You think it means this, don't you? But it doesn't. It means to examine carefully. Look it up in the dictionary. But it's changed. The, the meaning of the word has changed. So when, when Paul is talking about the metron of faith, he's talking about the measure of faith. It's the standard of faith. It's not that you have a greater measure of faith than I do. It's the faith that all of us have received. We all who belong to Jesus are given faith. If we didn't have faith, we wouldn't belong to Jesus. Just think of the difference in your life. If you would grasp the truth of Romans 12.3. If you would embrace it. Think about the last argument that you had with your spouse. Or your parents. Or your roommate. Or your co-workers or your neighbors. Family members at the family reunion. That time's coming up. God help us all. How about the most recent dust-up you've had with someone here at church? Conflict and, and, and frustration are inevitable. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8. Love one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. He doesn't say love one another so that you won't sin against one another. He says love one another because you're going to need to. People are going to sin against you. You're going to need to forgive them. How miserable this life is if we don't forgive one another. Would if you embraced and, and made Romans 3, the truth of Romans 3, 12, 3, part of your life, what, what difference would it make in your relationships? Would your attitude and response have been different towards your brother or sister if you'd exercised sober judgment about yourself and about your relationship with God? Let me ask you this. Do you find gospel truth in Romans 12, 3? 
case you're wondering, the answer is yes. You do find gospel truth all the way through Scripture. Not, not always in the words of, of, of an apostate when Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and they're answering him. The only gospel truth you see in that is the fallenness of the world and the hopelessness of depending on yourself for salvation. But yes, there's gospel truth. What if Jesus had thought so highly of himself he didn't go to the cross? Or even come to earth? Jesus said to his followers, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Deny yourself. Go where I go. Where does Jesus go? To the cross. Jesus obeyed the Father in all things and went to the cross. We're called to die to ourselves. So even if you have blown it royally this week because you thought too highly of yourself or as is equally detrimental because you have thought too low of yourself in the gospel, the mercies of God appeal to you to repent and once again to turn your life over to the Lord and trust in a forgiving and loving God who has brought you into his covenant family here at Grace Community Church. He has uniquely prepared you to be a vital part of this family by giving you spiritual gifts that will enable you to serve the body. We're halfway through the message. And we haven't even begun to talk about spiritual gifts. And I'm sure that that might be disappointing to some of you. But don't worry. There's a lot of time allotted to the thought about the thoughts about spiritual gifts in the coming weeks. We're going to be taking a break from the exact flow. Although it fits perfectly into this flow. A place in the family. Into this series. A place in the family. Over the next two weeks. When we talk about the death and resurrection of Christ. The very core of the gospel. On Palm Sunday and on Easter. But, but when we pick back up on the other side. In the flow of this series, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And there's a great deal said about spiritual gifts in those two texts. There will be threads and themes in all three texts. The one that we are going to read in just a few moments, the rest of Romans 12, 1 to 8. And then in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians um, <clears throat> And so some of the questions that you might leave here today with will be answered along the way. At the risk of overlisting you today, I want to think about the common themes in these three passages about family life. First, the emphasis on the word member. Now, I don't mean to say that the Holy Spirit through Scripture uses this word as a definitive statement slash requirement on church membership. It's not that he's saying. Well that you're a member. So you must be a church member. At a particular church. Not at all. But it's close. When you think about it. I mean when you fill out a medical form. Why do they ask about. The medical history. Of your immediate family members. Because your medical condition. Is so closely. 
related to theirs. If you look at church as a collection of individuals who have come together for a common cause, you're going to think one way about membership. But if you think that we are members one of, an, one of another, as Scripture says, then you're going to think another way about church membership. David Calvert reminds us week in and week out, we didn't come to church, we came to be the church. We are the church gathered when we come here on Sunday morning. So, Another principle that we're going to see repeatedly is God's emphasis on order in his design and the danger of misuse of spiritual gifts. Just like any organization, there has to be some semblance of order in the church. Paul is going out of his way to remind us that the local church is an organism, not just an organization. But as we will see in our next two texts, there is definite order and design for the local church. Why? Because it's the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. And we are designed to reflect our God, who is a God of order. Third, oh, by the way, without order. Spiritual gifts can be badly misused, damaging the body. What if everybody at work just did what he or her thought was best? How would it go? Probably not too good. Well, sight better than it is now. Well, maybe so. Maybe if it were a different leader, so to speak. But look, none of us, none of us deny the fact that there needs to be order. It's just the kind of order we want. When revolutionaries overthrow a government and they create chaos in the country, they're doing it so that they can take control and reestablish order. Just a different kind of order. There's order in everything. So if there is not order in the church, spiritual gifts can be badly misused damage in the body. Third, the danger of thinking too highly or too little of yourself. We're going to see this. Wow. Paul really develops this in 1 Corinthians 12. You are a blessed part of the covenant community. You get an important role in God's story, which ought to tell you how important you are. But it is, after all, his story, not yours. So don't think too highly of yourself. He's saying that to all of us. All of us. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to us from the scripture. Fourth, there's only a partial listing of spiritual gifts in each text, indicating the likelihood that the lists are not comprehensive. Now, talks about some gifts here, some here, some there, different emphases in the different text. But most likely, he's not including them. He's just saying, this is the idea. God has given spiritual gifts to everyone. Just think about these gifts that are so important in your place. And then he talks about it in another place. And so each of the three texts we're going to explore provide differing lists or different types of gifts are listed there. Some, though, will overlap. Romans 12 tells us something really important about the use of our gifts, the way that they're used. We're going to get to that right after this last common truth that we'll see in our studies, the beauty of the body working according to design. We're in the middle of March Madness, and it is truly 
a beauty to behold. Athletes functioning at the highest level of their abilities, isn't it? I mean, there are lots of reasons that there are so few, relatively speaking, who are able to perform at such high levels. Although if you watch me watch a game, you would think that I could play better than those guys out there. And you would know that I could referee better than those guys out there. Without question. Not only though, in order to do the things that these guys do, do you have to be able, do you have to be blessed with rare physical qualities? But you have to work like crazy to get to that place. And also, it's even more demanding that you do this as a team. I mean, how does, how does a team function together? When you got that many talented people, it takes a lot of work to get there. The application of the analogy should be obvious. It was to Paul. Back to Romans 12, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The word member means literally human limb. Think of the implications. It, it's it's an, analogy, an analogy, of course. But Paul is saying something very important about the body of Christ. He's saying that all the limbs need to be functioning the way that they were designed to function in order for us to accomplish the things that he's called us to do. What happens when a limb in your body is not functioning properly? The rest of the body has to compensate, and sometimes in doing so, other parts are stressed beyond what is healthy. It's even more challenging when a limb is removed. We are members one of another. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong first to Christ, then to one another. We'll be thinking about this quite a bit off and on over the next month because Paul develops this thought extensively in relation to spiritual gifts and church life. So let's look at the, the spiritual gifts li listed here. And, and it's important to note, though, that Paul gives a great deal more care and instruction about the way the gifts are to be used than he does about the gifts themselves. We'll look at, uh, again, a few Greek words will give us a little better understanding of the gifts. But I'm always interested to see what the Bible says about spiritual gifts and what people say about spiritual gifts. Look, you've taken spiritual gift inventories, and I'm sure they're helpful. It's, they're, they're, they're not in Scripture, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not, again, there are a lot of things that are extra-biblical that are very good. But, but Paul is concerned about how these gifts are used. So, first, the gift of prophecy. Almost certainly, in this case anyway, Paul is not talking about this gift as a divinely inspired message from God. The Greek literally reads this. Use the gift of prophecy according to the proportion. The Greek again, alagion, or analogy. Let 
according to the proportion, once again, a word that means according to the standard of faith. As Tim Keller points out, if prophecy were a divine word direct from God, if I were to stand up here today and say, thus says the Lord, and it's nowhere in Scripture, it's a new thing altogether. What standard do I need to measure that against? If this is truly from God, there's no standard to measure that against. But Paul is saying, if you have the gift of prophecy, measure it against Scripture, against the Word of God, against the basis of our faith. So here in Romans 12, prophecy seems to mean preaching or anointed utterance. And the standard would be Scripture. Some are given the gift of service. Most who have this gift don't need the spotlight. They're quite content in the background. Thank God for those in our church who have the gift of service. You don't ever see them. You just don't know what they're doing. There are certain people you have no idea how many hours they put in to making this body function well. Should everyone serve? Absolutely. But some are called to service at a higher level. Some are called to serve more than others because that's their gift. That's their function in the body. Then the gift of teaching. This would be teaching that is different of a different nature than preaching. I mean, a good preacher may not be a good teacher and vice versa. Also, some are good in small groups, some in large groups, some with children's ministry, some with students. You get the idea. We need all kinds of teachers in the body of Christ. God has blessed us with an unusual number, an unusually large number of teachers in our body. The gift of exhortation is the gift of encouragement. It comes from the Greek word parakaleo. You're familiar with that sound because you've heard the Holy Spirit called the paraclete. He's the encourager, the comforter. That's what this gift is about, encouragement. It means to come alongside. Encouragers can serve as advisors, counselors, greeters, assistants in children's ministry. Just all around encouragement. I am an encourager. And so it's important to me to be encouraged because that's the way we, we just function. And there are certain people in our church that function as encouragers to me. And I'm so grateful for that. Then, with these last three gifts, in fact, this is going to address what I just said about I'm an encourager, encourager, thus I appreciate encouragement. Paul adds a word of caution with these last three gifts. He does it in a positive way. Have you ever noticed how every strength that you have in life comes with a corresponding weakness? You know, for every person that says, man, you're really good at that, there's probably that same person or several more that say, "Woo, you sure are weak in that area. You know whether they say it or not. And you know it in yourself. I'm very decisive. Not very warm and fuzzy, but I'm very decisive, you know. And I might be, this one might be warm and fuzzy, but can't make a decision for anything and you need both you need it all in the body of Christ our elder board you can't believe the way we are you know we're just all over the map and it works beautifully together you know why because we understand one another's strengths and what they bring to the table 
and how not one focus, not one way of doing things is going to carry the day. It's going to be a collection of the real decisive and the sensitive and the thoughtful and whatever. It's just, it works together. And that's the way he's designed us to be. So he says, for those who have the gift of giving, give generously. Now, from the message last week, are we all called to give? Absolutely. So, so clearly, the gift of giving is for those who have the ability to give at higher levels than others. Not only have the ability, they're called to give at higher levels. If you have the gift of giving, you either have the gift of making or the gift of investing wisely. The difficulty with the gift of giving, of course, is that the more you have, what's the natural inclination? Hang on to it. The more you have, the more tightly you want to hold on to what you have. <coughs> That's why Paul encourages, let the, <laughs> the one who contributes do so generously. I'm going to guess didn't think about studying this, but I could almost assure you that it's true. That the percentages of what people give um, is far higher in low-income types of churches than it is in upper-income types of churches. The more we make, the more we want to hang on to it. The more obligations we have, the more toys we want. Just the more, more, more of everything. And you can become slaves. And Paul has said, Paul has said, if God has given you the gift of giving, fight that tendency. Give generously. <clears throat> last week I talked about tithing to the church. I didn't mention last week that we have the need to pay off this building. I mean, I, just in order to have space for our children. You look around, it's fairly full. Uh, we, we could put more people in here. I'm telling you, they're bursting at the seams back there in this Mormon-type, you know, children-having church. We're not Mormon at all because Mormons don't believe that Jesus was God. We do. That's the first thing we believe about anything. <clears throat> but we know we're going to have to move forward. We're going to need another building. We need to pay this one off first. I think it's somewhere in the $385,000 range that we've got left, which ain't, which ain't bad, but it's bad for 11 years. We need to get on with this, folks. So it could be that God has given some the gift of giving who are going to be able to let's move to the next stage. And I hope, Rick Palmer, you are listening to this. He's, he's, he's good. We're good. You know, it's, it's, it's helpful, especially in our day, to follow a, a clearly divine, defined vision. But there's not a lot of vision in Paul's writing. You know what? It's, the gospel is the vision. That's the vision. Support the gospel. That ought to be enough for us. Having said that, it's indeed possible that in the gift of leadership, God has designed this very thing for some to step up and say, here's where we're going, let's go. But guess what happens to those people, especially in a building campaign? They get discouraged. 
Because when Satan fell, he fell in a church that was about to build a new building. That's where he landed, you know, and there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in a building campaign. When we started building our building, people said, oh, boy, you better watch out. Satan gets in there. And you know what? I don't think I ever said this. Maybe I did once because I can't, you know, if I think it enough, I'm going to say it. Oh, I've just revealed something about myself I shouldn't have revealed. (laughs) Because one day you say, I know what you've been thinking. Finally, I I think I did maybe say one time, you just don't know our church. You don't know how unified we are. Guess what? Satan was here when this building was going up. It's just the way it works. And a leader can get discouraged. And Paul said, if God has given you the gift of leadership, lead with zeal. Finally, Paul encourages those with the gift of mercy. You know, those who serve in the buddy team, take meals to those in need, visit prisons, help the weak. Those with this gift should use what God has done for them with cheerfulness. Why this word of caution? Because it's kind of like the gift of encouragement. If you have the gift of mercy, you're likely to look around one day and be tempted to say, wow, I mean, I do a lot for people. And who does anything for me? I'll tell you who, nobody. That's who does something for me. The very thing that makes you sensitive with this gift of mercy also works against you if you let it. It's true with all the gifts though, isn't it? We tend to think that our gift is the most important gift. If you have the gift of service, you may feel like if everybody would just pitch in around here, we could get it done a lot quicker. Many hands make light work. That's true. that's true, I'm not saying it's not. But we really, when we start feeling it, if we allow ourselves, we'll really go down that road. If everyone would just give around here, if everyone would just pray. Prayer, by the way, is not listed in the, the gifts like giving and service are that everyone is called to do. But truly, some has, God has called some to pray at a higher level. It's easier for you. Maybe you're not ADHD like some of us are. And you can pray. You can pray for long periods of time and your soul is refreshed. And some of you have the gift of faith at a higher level. Not a measure of faith like we were talking a while ago. But just the gift of being able to trust God in a difficult time. And when it's tough around here, we need people to say, God is sovereign. God is good. It's going to be okay. Remember this when you feel alone with your gift. God did not give everyone the spiritual gift that he gave to you. He gave you a special gift that is designed to bless the rest of us. And our gifts will bless you. That's the way he's called it. You see... In in, in Romans 12, 3, God says, don't think too highly of yourself. You're not all that. We're all the same. My gift is just one of the spiritual gifts. And what you do 
and serving and picking up and washing dishes. And when, when everybody else, when I walk away as the teacher, your gift is every bit as important as my gift. We're all the same. But then he says in verses 4 and 5, and then it goes on these verses that we're reading now, 6 to 8, that we're all unique. We're all the same. We're all unique. And while you're blessing the body, the body is going to be blessing you as well. If you remember the body to which God has called us, we're members of Christ. We're members one of another. And, And by the way, There may be brothers and sisters in this church who have been here for 10 years just like you, and you don't even know who they are. But they could be praying and giving in ways that you will never see, and they are thus a vital part of the body. Just like Joseph of Arimathea. Nobody knew who he was. He was one of the Sanhedrin. He kept his faith in Christ quiet. And yet, Joseph went to Pilate and said, let me have his body. And Joseph and Nicodemus prepared Jesus' body, and they put it in that tomb. See, Jesus' body was destined for the Valley of Gehenna, just thrown on a trash heap with other people who had been executed, and most people didn't have the courage to go and claim. But Joseph took Jesus' body, they prepared it, making themselves unclean just before the Passover. And no Joseph of Arimathea, no resurrection on Sunday. Well, of course, in God's plan it is. But that was God's plan. Do I wish everybody in our church were in home groups? Oh, yeah, you know I do. I wish even more that you will understand that God has given you a unique place in this body in fact i am calling right now all of you who are able to pray at a higher level to do so pray begin praying for spiritual protection in this place that god will cover our body and look we're not getting out without a battle satan's here he's going to be in the middle of it all But we need to pray for spiritual protection as we begin to move forward. Pray that God will pay this building off and that we can move on. I wouldn't be surprised if everybody would just give at the level that we're called to give. That we could pay it off fairly soon. But it could be that the gift of giving has been given to some of you. And it's time for you to step up. But we need the prayers to pray. Maybe one of the reasons that we don't serve to the level of our gifting is that we feel the need in this age of drones and moral outrage, whatever your particular morality may be, to protect ourselves. Well, what if I give and then it's misused? See, that's another burden with the gift of giving. When you give it, you feel like you ought to have a say. No, you don't feel like you ought to have a say. You, ought to, you feel like you ought to have the say. That's the temptation when you give money, right? All of us do. I'm just being a good steward. No, that's not the issue. You ought to be a good steward. 
But again, reminding the woman, the widow who gave it all at the temple was given to a system that Jesus had just condemned and he commended her. What if I serve so much that people start taking advantage of me? I mean, why do I want to keep on encouraging people when nobody seems to care about me? Why? Because you believe the gospel. That's why. It's not just a club you're part of. It's the body of Christ. Because you have in humility come to the place where you do not think of yourself more highly than you should. And you have to come to that place time and time again. Because you've given your body as a living sacrifice in response to the gospel gospel mercies of God through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit. Why should you give everything in service to the body, which is in reality service to God? Because you trust Him and His plan. Because you believe the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Mold us, make us, move us, shape us into the members of the body of Christ that you have designed us to be. Thank you, Lord, for not allowing us to get away with pride and with anger and resentment and with pettiness. You just don't let us stay there. You call us to be valuable members of the body and you and you make us that way. Lord, even in Romans 6 where Paul is giving commands, he's saying yield. <laughs> we yield to you and ask you, Jesus, to be glorified in and through us. We lift up your holy name. Amen. Would you stand together?